Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Well, good evening. Many of you won't know who I am. I'm Andy. I'm the youth worker here, which will explain to you why I'm so cool and trendy and relevant and well-dressed. I'm just keeping it sick and up with the youth. But tonight we're looking at the character of Jacob. We're in a series called Heroes of Faith, where we're looking at Bible characters in the end of the Bible in a, chapter, in a book called Hebrews, who lived and died and gave everything for Jesus, lived and died and gave everything for God's kingdom. And we're trying to be inspired by people in the book of Hebrews who had faith in God, had faith in eternal purposes, lived and died for the sake of God's kingdom. And throughout the years, we see many people who have dedicated everything they've got for the sake of God's kingdom, lived and died for Jesus. If something's worth living for, it's worth dying for. In the 16th century, during the English Reformation, one of the preachers got up into a pulpit and he didn't say a word, but everyone there knew exactly what he meant. He got a glass, smashed it onto the floor, and it shattered into several, several thousand pieces. He didn't say anything, just shattered into many pieces. But everyone knew what he meant. He said, you can break me, you can kill me, you can do whatever you want to me, but as, as I'm destroyed, the gospel will spread. As you break me, the gospel will spread. God's kingdom will grow. It was during a time where if you said certain things during the Reformation, you'd have been killed for your faith. 2,000 years ago, Jesus lived and died so that we could have eternal life and for the sake of his Father's kingdom. His disciples, he had 12 disciples, and Judas Iscariot betrayed him and committed suicide, but the other 11 gave everything. It's likely that they were all martyred and killed for their faith. Peter was crucified upside down. Horrific. Brutal. And as we look at our lives today and try and follow this Jesus, imitate his life, be followers, be disciples of him, the chances are we won't have to die for our faith, but we need to be prepared to give everything each day, saying, actually, God, it's all about you. It's not about me, it's about you. It's not about what I've done, it's about what you've done for me. It's about giving everything for the sake of eternity, giving everything for the fact that he's given us eternal life. Today we're looking at Jacob, last week we looked at Abraham, but today we're looking at Jacob, who's Abraham's grandson. And I have to be honest, if I was God, I wouldn't have put Jacob in the hall of faith. Fortunately for everyone, I'm not God, or even close, but I wouldn't have put him in there. He was cunning, he was deceiving, he got it wrong, he was a cheat, he let his brother down, he made mistake after mistake, he said and did stupid things, time after time. Early in his life, he came out of his mother's womb. Well, not early in his life, right at the start of his life. <laughs> that was a completely accidental, quite a funny joke. <laughs> Easy crowd. Anyway, he came out holding his brother's foot because he was wrestling with his brother, out from, from the outset wrestling with his brother, saying, I just want to fight. A man of, who spent his whole life wrestling and fighting over things, deceiving, being cunning, arguing, debating, always trying to find schemes and ways around things. And he argued time and time again with his brother. His brother wanted to kill him because he stole his blessing. He also, even to his brother Esau, he even went to extreme. His brother came back from hunting, was desperate for some food. Desperate for some food. It says that he was dying of hunger, effectively. 
And his brother Jacob, so Jacob had some stew and said, I'll trade you some of his stew for your birthright. So a birthright was something his father gave him. And he was so desperate for it that he did. He gave everything for his stew. He traded the stew for a birthright. He made his brother who was starving to death give him his birthright for the sake of his stew. I mean, stew is good, but that is pretty ridiculous. Even deceived and went against his own brother. He fell out of his uncle later. He fell out of his sons. Jacob, he fa- Jacob favoured his son Joseph, and because of that, his sons had big arguments. There was turmoil towards the end of his life. But I actually see a lot of Jacob in me. Because despite all this, because, despite the stupid things he said and did, God used him. He had a real love for God. And actually, largely, he was obedient in the end. And I look at my own life and think, I've been an absolute muppet time and time again. A few years ago, a friend of mine and I, we went to Manchester. We lived in London, which was about four hours away. And we took a youth group to Manchester to do a big project there, a big mission project there. About four hours drive. And I kid you not, I was driving a minibus, probably 19, 20 years of age. And out, leaving the car park... I crashed the minibus four times. Four times. The young people in the back were going, way. The parents are like, who is this idiot taking my precious little Johnny away? I even crashed into a senior pastor's car. So a few weeks later, I had to go and chat to him and explain to him why I'd managed to crash into his car. But that week, God used us in such powerful ways, despite me being an absolute numpty. That same week, that same week, we were helping steward for a group called The Band With No Name. I'm studying on risky territory now. I understand that because I'm about to make a cheap shot of a band with no name. But they're a Christian band. And needless to say, that particular night, we weren't particularly impressed with them. So I remember being with my friend. We were both grumpy. We were tired. We'd been with young people all week. It's hard work. They'd been winding us up and just mucking around all week. And we were fed up. And we were stewarding for them. And there wasn't many people there. We weren't particularly impressed with their performance. And we were in the toilets, and I said to my friend at the urinals, I said, these guys should be called the band with no talent. And we both thought we were hysterical, we thought we were comic geniuses, and he said to me, or the band with no fans. And we both thought that was hysterical, really funny, and perhaps we've got a career ahead in comedy. So just as we were zipping our flies, turned over our shoulder, we see the drummer come out of the toilet cubicle. Time and time again, I've said and done stupid things. But God uses us despite of that. Jacob had a love for God. And almost without exception, he was obedient to God. He wrestled with God, he questioned God. But he was obedient to God. But he also had something else which I really want to talk about this evening. He had an eternal perspective. As we look in Hebrews 11, it will be on the screen behind me if you haven't got a Bible in front of you. But it's Hebrews 11, verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Jacob finally got it. After years of scheming, after years of being deceptive, I think he makes the whole of the faith because he finally gets it. He understands that there's a vision beyond his life, a vision to live with the Saviour, to live with God. He has an eternal perspective. And he understands that that dictates how we live on earth. His heart and mind were on eternal things. He died trusting his eternal destiny. Now take it from me, I'm only 31 years of age. I've 
I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I honestly believe this is one of the most important messages to the church in the UK. We need to have an eternal perspective that as we understand our life after death, it dictates and forms how we live here on earth. As we understand eternal values, eternal principles, as we understand what it is to have eternal life in God, it dictates how we live here. We start to have more faith. We start to have more courage. We're prepared to take risks. We're prepared to step out. Let me give you an example. If I said to you, it's been a really good year in youth work. I made loads of money this year. That doesn't happen, just to clarify. I'm going to give each of you a million pound. You're not going to be too worried about your 300 pound, you know, your overdraft, are you? But we seem to get so carried away with things on earth, despite having an eternal life with God. That doesn't dictate how we live here on earth. We've become risk adverse, we've become safe, we've become boring at times as a church. Because I don't think we truly understand what it is to have an eternal perspective that living with God forevermore dictates how we live here on earth. And the reassuring thing is this. If you take nothing else this evening, take this. If God can use clumsy Jacob, he can use each and every one of us. If God can use me, he can use you. So how does he have his eternal perspective? I just want to look at a few things tonight. We're going to turn to Genesis 46 verse 3. Again, if you haven't got this in front of you, it will be on the screen behind me. So Genesis 46 verse 3. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. Let me read this again. This is towards the end of Jacob's life. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. The first thing is he turns to God. He turns to God, his father. But so often we turn to Google, not God. Jacob turns to God, not Google. Now, the clever ones amongst you will say, they didn't have Google in Jacob's day. Well done, that's very intelligent. But here's my point. A few weeks ago, Adele and I were going through a tricky situation. I won't go into the details, but we were going through a tricky situation. And as Adele left the room, the first thing I did was Google the solution to this problem. How easy is it for us to do that? How easy is it for us to say, in every situation, we come to human reason, we come to intelligence, we turn to our friends, we turn to Google. Time after time, we turn to answers, human answers. Our first port of call must be God, not the internet, not Google. I've heard people say that the reason we don't see as many miracles in the Western world is because in developing nations, always God is God, so they have to depend on God. Whereas for us, we've got the answers seemingly in front of us. We've got all the resources, all the technology, everything we could possibly need, it would seem. In the beginning, Adam and Eve chose to eat from the tree of knowledge and they were asked not to. They were asked to eat only from the tree of life. And I wonder, I wonder now if at times we eat from the tree of knowledge rather than the tree of life. Trying to find out the answers ourselves. We've been asked not to, but we're trying to find the answers ourselves. But actually we need to turn to God and say, it's all about you. It's not about Google. It's not about us finding the answers. We need to remember God. Jacob would have known the promises given to his grandfather Abraham. We heard about Abraham last week. He would have known the promises given to his father Isaac. He would have known the promises given to him in early life, saying you will be a blessing. You will have descendants beyond yourself. 
You will have 12 tribes of Israel beyond you. He knew the blessing, the promises given to him. He remembered God's faithfulness. But here's the thing. When God really spoke to him, he was desperate and lonely and homeless. What happened was, he stole his brother Esau's blessing. So Esau was promised a blessing which was like just a way of inheriting your father's promises and blessings and it was just a really good thing to get. And what happened was, his brother was hairy, so he dressed up with a rug and deceived his dad on his dying on his deathbed. He deceived his father and got his father's blessing. He was so desperate and lonely that God spoke to him. But I think we need to be in a situation where actually we are desperate and dependent on God, not just when things are rock bottom, not just when we're homeless and lonely. Jacob was escaping death. He was escaping Esau who threatened to kill him because of what he'd done to his brother. Esau was desperate to kill him because he stole his blessing and he was on the run. He was at his low point and as he turned to God, God spoke to him powerfully in a dream. But let's not just be people who hear from God when we're at our rock bottom. We need to turn to God daily. We need to turn to him in every situation say, God, today it's all about you. Where are we going today? What are we going to do together today? How are we going to challenge the day ahead together? I remember a few years ago, probably the hardest point of my life. I was at university at the time. I had a career ahead. I was studying and I was playing a lot of basketball. Now, for me, I wanted to make it pro at basketball. I didn't because I wasn't good enough. I'm not going to make up some story about a knee injury, although that would be safer. I just wasn't good enough. And I was desperate to make it at basketball. I was playing well. I was playing at a good level. I had a really good social life. I was going out a lot. I had a good university degree. I was halfway through. I was loving life. I just think from a human point of view, I had everything. But then I was seriously ill. Seriously, I had like a life-threatening illness. They reckoned I could have died. I didn't. They actually thought I was going to die one night. And I was seriously ill for a few months. And I had to overnight stop university, stop playing basketball. I couldn't go out with my friends because I was in bed sometimes 20 hours a day. I was seriously, seriously ill. And my life was just falling apart. And to add insult to injury, a few, a few weeks later... Amidst this suffering, amidst this pain, it was my uncle's funeral. He had committed suicide. He hung himself. And I just remember being, I can distinctly remember being in the car park after my uncle's funeral. And I could barely stand up. I was so weak and in so much pain and suffering at that time. I sort of said to God, I said, God, you say you love me. You say you care for me. You say you want the best for me. But this doesn't seem quite right. This doesn't seem great. What on earth are you doing with my life? You've taken everything from me. And I remember God saying, I've stripped you of all you have, but I've left you of all you need. I've stripped you of all you have, but left you of all you need. So I could depend more and more on God. But we need to turn to God with humility and desperation before it gets desperate. We need to turn to God with humility and desperation every day. We also need to be open before God. Jacob wrestled with God. Not quite sure how that worked, if I'm honest. But he wrestled with God throughout the night. He was cunning, he was unpleasant, he was selfish, he was deceptive. But I think he engaged and spoke with God. He was transparent and honest and vulnerable with God. Despite all his flaws, despite all his mistakes and sins, he was honest and transparent before God. 
We need to be real and open with God. I find it absolutely crazy that we hide from God time and time again. We don't give him our whole lives. We don't tell him about everything. The God who knows everything about us, we hide from and don't tell everything to. We need to remember that God is in charge. He is sovereign. But we also need to depend on God. We need to remember him, but we also need to depend on God. If you take nothing else from this evening, remember this. But the story of Jacob is all about scandalous grace. If Jacob can make the hall of faith, it gives all of us hope. He does not deserve it. He was a scumbag in so many ways. He got it wrong time after time after time. But he makes a hall of faith. He has eternal life with God. He's a cheat. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He stole his brother's blessing. But it reassures all of us that God's got a plan for us. He gives us eternal life. However far away from him we feel tonight, he's got a plan for us. The scandalous gift of grace. We need to try and fit into God's plan and not try and fit him into our world. Jacob made a real muck-up of his life in so many ways. But his eternal perspective was based on the fact in the end of his life he knew his father. He knew his father. It says in the verse we read earlier that he died worshipping God. He was physically weak, but he was worshipping God. I hope and pray that I die worshipping God, saying actually, even on my last breath, it's all about you. I know I'm going to spend eternity with you. Let's not be people who turn to Google for the answers. Let's be people who depend fully on God. In this time of knowledge, this time of internet, everything else, let's just turn to God. We have an eternal perspective by focusing on God, not Google. Secondly, we need to be people who have faith and not fear. It says, do not be afraid to go to Egypt. Jacob was asked not to be afraid to go to Egypt. Now, scholars debate over why Jacob would have been afraid. It could be because... He was old in age, he was frail, he just didn't want another journey. It could be because his family was in turmoil, his brothers had had this big screw up and bust up, and perhaps he was scared about seeing more of that, he didn't want his family to be more of a mess. It could be because his father, Isaac, was asked not to go to Egypt. Now that was for Isaac, it wasn't for Jacob, but perhaps he thought it applied to him as well, he didn't want to disobey God. Or perhaps he knew that one day, Egypt would overcome Israel and bully Israel and push him around and he didn't want to allow that to happen. But regardless of that, regardless of why he was afraid, he went. And remember this, he's old in age as well. As we grow old, let's grow wiser, but let's not lose our faith and our risk-taking ability. Let's not lose our courage. Sometimes we grow in wisdom, but we forget what it is to have faith and risk-taking at the heart of what we do. At the end of his life, he went. Wherever Jesus asked, he went. I work with young people, as I said earlier. And one of the things I often get them to do is I put out a bench in front of me. And what I say is, put your hand up if you think you can walk across this bench. And every single one of them puts their hand up. Yeah, I can do that. Young people love just following the person next to them and following the crowd. Yeah, I can do that. I mean, okay, okay, okay guys, what, what if that bench was a few thousand meters in the air? And they're like... No, no, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. But it's the same challenge. But suddenly fear creeps in. Suddenly we start to get scared. We look down. We need to keep our eyes on the prize, eternal life with God. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We can all walk across that bench no matter how high it is. But we can only do it if we believe in the faith we have. To keep our eyes on the prize, to keep looking forward and not down. 
Jacob knew the promises given to his granddad. He knew that God was faithful. He knew the promises he'd given to him. Jacob was promised that one day his sons would be the leaders of the tribes of Israel. He trusted in that. He trusted in God's promises. He lived by faith and not by fear. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. The disciple Peter, who you may have heard of, led the disciples and he was often, he's often considered the founder of the church and had an incredible influence. And there's a lot of similarities between him and Jacob, I think, because both of them are at times a bit obnoxious, a bit raw, a bit tricky, perhaps a bit bullish at times. He just seemed to rub people up the wrong way. And there's an incredible story about Peter where he's in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and the Sea of Galilee is renowned for huge storms, life-threatening storms, storms that can kill you. And the disciples were absolutely petrified and rightly so. They were really scared. And as they were scared, they see someone walking towards them, which at first they thought was a ghost. They thought it was a ghost. And they realize it's Jesus. And Peter says, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to walk on water and I'll walk towards you. And Jesus says, it is I. And Peter walks out. And Peter walks on water. And it's because he has his eyes fixed on Jesus that he can do the impossible. He can do the miraculous. But as soon as he looks down and gets scared, he begins to sink. And Jesus says, you of little faith, you of little faith, have faith in his eye. But he looks down and he begins to sink. And here's what happens. So often we walk by fear and not by faith. We look behind us as we're meant to be keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. We look behind us at things of the past, mistakes of the past, things that happened five years ago. And as we take our eyes off Jesus, we begin to sink. Or we look down and we look, how on earth can I get through this pile of work? How on earth can I cope all these problems around my family and all these struggles? You don't know how busy I am. You don't know all I've got to deal with. And as we look down, we begin to sink. Or we look to the left and we look to the right and we look at what others have got. God, why are you blessing this person? Why are you promoting this person at work? Why are you using this person? What about me? What about me? And as we look to the left and look to the right, we take our eyes off Jesus and begin to sink. Or we look inwards and our insecurities and think, I'm not good enough. I'm not good looking enough. I am, but complete joke. Oh dear, that was boring and very... Anyway. We look within and we look at our own gifts and talents and think, I'm not good enough. And look at our insecurities and our weaknesses and begin to sink. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the prize. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Jacob was happy to go to Egypt because he knew he had eternal life with God. He followed God's command because he knew he had eternal life with God. And I just want to add a couple of things onto that. Some of you will be saying, well, that's okay living by faith, but I've got these big questions right now. I don't mind living by faith, but there's a few things I need figuring out. One of the things I really admire about the disciple Thomas is this. Thomas was known as Doubting Thomas. And the reason he was known as Doubting Thomas is because he always had questions. He always struggled with things. He never quite believed it all. But Thomas also said to the other disciples, let's go and die with Jesus. Despite the struggles, despite the questions, he was prepared to give everything. And I think, actually, as we start to give everything to God, as we start to explore that journey of faith, as we start to take steps of faith with God, our questions begin to get answered. 
Despite his struggles, despite his questions, he went. He kept his eyes fixed on Jesus. Faith is like a muscle. I can tell you guys work out a lot. That's pretty obvious to me. But the more we work out, the bigger our muscles become. And the same is true of our faith muscle. The more we stretch that muscle, the more we use that muscle, the more we have faith to do bigger and larger things. But we need to exercise it. We need to stretch our faith muscle. Let's be people who live by faith and not by fear. Let's keep our eyes fixed on God, but yes, but let's live by faith and not by fear. And finally, let's live for many and not me. Jacob was known as Israel because beyond him were the 12 tribes of Israel. He was content to die because he knew he was passing the blessing to the next generation, his 12 sons who had become the 12 leaders of the tribes of Israel. He knew that it was beyond him. He knew it was beyond his lifetime. The blessing was beyond him. But here's the reality. For so many of us, it's about now and it's about me. It's about now and it's about me. I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed now. But Jacob was prepared to live beyond himself and he was prepared to live for others. He was prepared to live beyond himself and he was prepared to live for others. A true sign of our faith, I think, is living for others. So the question is this, what is our legacy going to be? What do we want written on our gravestone? How do we want to die? And who are we passing the baton on to? Who are we investing in? At times I think we want the rights, but not the responsibility. Jacob had the rights, but didn't want the responsibility. He had finally grasped in his old age that he had to have the rights and responsibility. He understood that God would bless him abundantly. God gave him his promises. But alongside that was responsibility to invest in others, to invest in the many, to invest in the future. We need to be people who live for the many and not just for me. Jacob never actually saw his blessing. It was beyond his lifetime. But he was so assured of his eternal destiny that when he died, he died with confidence and security because he knew it was beyond him. He knew it was for the sake of others. Let's be people like Jacob who have an eternal perspective, who have our eyes fixed on Jesus, have our eyes fixed on the prize, who recognise it's beyond us, recognise it's beyond our lifetime, recognise that we're called on earth to be blessed, to bless others. Let's be people who every day wake up and say, God, God, it's all about you. I'm giving you my everything. And when God says jump, let's say how high. Yes, I've got questions. Yes, I've got doubts. Yes, I've got struggles. But I will step out of the boat and walk on water because you are with me. I'm just going to pray for us as the band come up and lead us in some worship. Why don't we just bow our heads and just allow God to minister to our hearts and minds. Lord, we thank you that you are real and you are present here today. We thank you that you love us and you care for each and every one of us. We thank you that your gift of grace is just so scandalous and ridiculous and undeserved, but it's here for every one of us tonight. And I pray if we don't know you tonight, will be a night where we meet with you and we understand that this grace is so undeserved, that your gift of salvation is so undeserved, but it's here and available to each and every one of us. And I pray that we'll be so in love with you that every day we give our day to you. We're desperate to know you in a deeper way. We're desperate to remember all the things you do and to live by you. 
And I pray that we'll be people who are known as people of faith. Faith rooted in the afterlife. Knowing we've got eternal life with you. And we're prepared to go wherever you want us to go. Do whatever you want us to do. Lord, give us that deep faith. And help us live for others, we pray. Oh Jesus, we need you tonight. Come upon us with your Holy Spirit. Amen.